Next up, Aliza Edelstein, Director of Product Marketing at Brex. Brex is taking a stance against the old financial systems, reimagining what it should look like instead. The finance and banking industry hasn't been disrupted in decades, and Brex has approached everything differently. That's resulted in 10x better solutions for customers. Aliza, I'm Pep. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Tell me about Brex. Yes. What would you like to know? What is it and whom do you serve? Got it. So Brex has invented a new category called all-in-one finance, and we serve all businesses. We started initially with corporate credit cards, launched cash management accounts, spend management software, and initially we served venture-backed companies, and now we serve small businesses, e-commerce businesses, all businesses across the country, including larger corporations. So our goal is to help them spend, save, and basically take every dollar that they make much further through banking, bookkeeping, rewards programs, and bringing it all together so they really don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. So how many years has this company been around? Oh, we're pretty young. We're about three years old. So super ambitious coming up on the scene. All right. And so a lot of changes happened. So tell me how your go-to-market messaging has really changed and evolved over these last years. When you first launched, what were you saying and whom were you saying this to? And then as you started expanding your reach and your product set, then what happened? Yeah, a lot of the messaging has evolved as the customers we've been able to serve has evolved. Messaging and positioning was one of the first projects that I worked on at Brex when I joined two years ago. One thing to reiterate is that our founders have a super clear sense of who we are, what we build for, and why we build it. And so the message has reflected that. Our mission is to reimagine financial systems so that every growing company can realize their full potential. And that, even as the messaging has shifted for different audiences and adapted to them, has remained very constant. Something that's interesting is we initially served tech startups, and now we serve all businesses. When we served tech startups, our messaging was very Silicon Valley tech. We used words like burn rate, which is something that all venture-backed tech startups boards care about and look at on a regular basis. And when we did the research into small businesses, we learned that only 9% of them understood and felt comfortable explaining the term burn rate to a friend. And so that needed to shift because it's, I think at the end of the day, you should be speaking to your customers the way they want to be spoken to, especially the way they understand you speaking to them. And yeah, so we shifted that as we zoomed out. Totally. And then tell me about the type of customer research you did to discover those insights. So in a previous life, I worked at SurveyMonkey, which offers a market research platform. So I'm kind of a junkie in terms of validating a lot of hypotheses, especially messaging hypotheses on through market research and concept testing. So I kind of like to think of it like you are testing an idea. The way you'd send a survey to customers, you're sending it to millions of people you don't know and having them vote on it. So you can identify who you want to gauge the reactions from and have them take your survey. And Something I find really valuable is the kind of mix of qual and quant data. Close-ended questions are just so much easier to analyze, but if you can include and have the time to analyze the qualitative open-ended ones, their answers often surprise you. You'll see trends pop up, things that you wouldn't have thought to include in your pick list, and that can guide you or even turn you on to something that a need the market has that might be unmet. Tell me about uh, today's positioning and messaging, and also how is it organized on the inside? Like, where does it live? Is there a document? Is it a PowerPoint? What's going on? 
Oh, yeah. So the all-in-one finance for every business is now how we describe ourselves because it encompasses the product portfolio I walked through earlier, but it lives everywhere and it needs to live everywhere. It's not just the marketing or the product marketing team or the brand marketing team that's responsible for making sure the world knows your company's message. It's everyone. It's how does every employee explain what their company does to their parents when they go home for, let's say, Thanksgiving. So we've got a bunch of central repositories in the company. We use Go links. You can go go slash brand or go slash corporate messaging and see what it looks like. But it's not just where it lives internally. I don't expect every person across the company to check that and kind of read up on it. It has to live very consistently everywhere. An adage I really love that the CFO of Brex always says is repetition doesn't spoil the prayer. And it's true. I mean, the message should be reiterated on billboards out of home, on your company homepage, in all of your internal slide presentations, in your company all-hands meetings. If it's your message, you should be owning it and explaining it to people wherever you can. So let me ask you about that. How has it been then incorporated into the everyday life of the company? Is it that new employee onboards and they learn it? And then there's a weekly all-hands-on-deck meeting and this is being discussed again. Or how is it actually communicated to people? Yeah, it's exactly both of those things. I do a lot of the new hire onboarding sessions. So there's a section in there of who are we and the products we offer and how we think of ourselves. It's on our homepage. It's reiterated in company all hands. If ever there are changes to it, those are discussed broadly across forums. But each week, it's not a session in our all hands. It just always comes up where we reiterate what our mission is, who we serve. And then we often have teams who are launching new things come and and speak to them and talk about how it ladders up to that. Got it. And so for external people, so if I'm in the sphere of influence for Brex, I might be interested in some of the products, not a customer yet. What are all the channels where I get that message that you repeat over and over? Where are all the channels where you repeat it? Yeah. So super important for product marketing is a very close partnership with the brand and the growth or demand gen teams. And coming up with the message and the positioning is one thing. And then working with your copywriters to shift it for different audiences, but it should live and be proliferated across channels. So through your social channels, through your paid direct response channels, retargeting channels, whether it's events or webinars on your homepage, your organic channels. And then Brexit has been really big on out of home, identifying what well, we've got different integrated marketing strategies for them, but identifying who we want to reach and figuring out where they are, whether it's putting messages on transit shelters across different cities, whether it's identifying specific cities in general, like let's say you're in Austin, right? Let's say we wanted to do an Austin takeover. We were kind of known in San Francisco pre-COVID for papering San Francisco with our messages. We had billboards in, in every spot that a commuter would hit on their way into and out of the city. So whether it's doing that broader nationally, we're experimenting with audio these days. So it's really kind of wherever you're going to be talking and trying to communicate and reach new customers, you should be consistent and present. Given that your company is growing so fast, you're hiring a bunch of people all the time, according to LinkedIn, it's 700 plus people. How do you make sure that all these people in social media and content marketing and whoever is writing ad copy, that they you know, are not going rogue and that they're not following their own creative idea, that they're following the playbook. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did just say this, but I will repeat it because it's part of it. Repetition doesn't spoil the prayer. So the more that you can say it internally over and over again, the more that it's baked into company templates, that's one thing. But I also think that there are a lot of different ways to drive alignment internally and make sure people aren't going rogue. Although again, with the templates internally, we've got snippets of text that sales could copy and paste for different use cases of I'm talking to a partner, or I'm talking to a customer or a prospect um, talking to someone in this industry versus that industry that the marketing team provides so that they're not forced to have to make it up on the spot when they are trying to tailor the message. But at a high level, I would say for driving alignment, especially if you're rolling out new messaging to make sure to bring everyone along on the journey. Like you can't just do it in a silo. Think it, You can't figure out if it's good in a silo and then everyone needs to feel bought in, right? They need to feel a sense of ownership the same way that everyone should feel like a steward of their brand. That's brand isn't owned by the brand team. The second part of it is to set regular milestones and check-ins when you're coming up with new messaging so that everyone knows what to expect in the next evolution of it. Because messaging can be one of those softer topics where people are like, what is that? How do I measure it? How do I understand if it's good? And being able to say, by this date, we will have understood how this audience feels about it, or we will have developed an elevator pitch by this time, that starts to help people anchor on it and make it more concrete. And then understanding good or not can be really subjective unless you bring data. And that goes back to what I was talking about from my SurveyMonkey days where I still use SurveyMonkey audience. And they just rebranded actually to Momentive AI. But you can use their market research platform to understand how things are performing. And that's kind of like a pre-test before things fly. So when you're bringing the messaging internally, once you've finalized it, everyone is firmly bought in that this is real. This is the right thing to be saying to this audience. We've tapped into the functional and emotional benefits. We trust the marketing team has figured this out and we want to use this messaging because it feels good to say to our prospects and customers. Bricks was kind of the first to market in in their category, but then competition was also swift to pick up and now there's a number of uh, successful players. So how has that affected your differentiation and how you try to be different from others? Yeah. A couple of things. We were the first to market with this corporate card for startups. That was the tagline. Messaging was quite easy because everyone knows what a corporate card is. Startups can self-identify. We invented no personal guarantee. So we had a product that wasn't available on the market elsewhere. Our founder story, similar to SurveyMonkey, similar to YouTube's, is the founders were trying to launch their company. They had venture-backed funding, like millions in the bank, and they couldn't get credit. So they literally couldn't spend their money. So they created their own product to solve that. And realized that that actually was an even bigger need than what they were initially launching. They were working on a VR company before that. I bring up the SurveyMonkey and YouTube stories, not because they had the same VR to credit a timeline, but rather the founders had a need. They needed to pull online answers or they needed to send videos that were compressed across the internet and they invented it themselves. So we were the first to market with that. And then obviously when there's a good idea, many more will follow and things become more saturated. Ruthless execution 
vision can't be underrated. I feel like an idea is 10% of it. And then the execution of making it successful is the other 90%. So that for sure keeps competition strong. If the competitors are good and they've stayed in the credit space long enough, then it means they're usually quite worthy. But then I think at a point, you need to both continue to ideate past them as well as shift into developing your brand. Because customer love is one of those things that you know messaging can help with, but it transcends that. And when you look at the space that we're in now, we compete with certain banks, we compete with credit card companies, we compete with spend management, expense management software. We can say as many good things about ourselves on our website as we want, but there are only three ways to say good things about yourself. Like you say them yourself, you hire an analyst relations firm to say it for you, sort of more objectively looking at the landscape, or you get your customers who believe in you to say it for you. And now I'm kind of going to digress a little bit, but one of the big things that product marketers should focus on and probably focus on top is how they champion customers, both telling their stories and the successes that the customers have had with your company, as well as understanding what they like and their points of frustration. If you could wave a magic wand and if they can wave a magic wand and make something different about your product or better, what would it be? And that will often highlight an unmet need or uh, help influence the roadmap. So in terms of the competition, the very short answer would have been outsmart them with better ideas and continue to innovate product and build up your brand, usually leveraging your customers who believe in you. You have said that you view the competition as a distraction. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I firmly believe the competition is a distraction, but I also think it is within a product marketer's scope to understand them very well. It shouldn't guide your work in any way, but you should know what your strengths and weaknesses and overall summarized positioning are relative to each competitor. And there are a lot of competitors, so very tactically speaking, internally, I would work with your leadership team to agree on the competitors that you are going to keep an eye on. And the rest, which will crop up every single day, either with new features or new companies, you can choose to ignore. And that keeps you focused on what you should be focused on, which is your customers. And if you do that, it's far more helpful. It's far more elevated. You are building for the people that you want to be helping rather than building to outsmart the people someone else is helping. One way I like to think about it, if it's really hard to convince your internal teams that the competition is a distraction is how the market leader replies or responds to the competition. You wouldn't see Apple putting up a feature by feature comparison grid on their website to show why their phone technology is better than someone else's. Like they really focus on a couple principles of what their customers want. So do you think that Apple is a category leader in some sense that also a smaller player? So if it's a space with 100 50, 50 to 100 players, and I own 0.5% of the target market that can still look at the category leader and do like they do? Yeah, if customers have already chosen a solution, so let's say their needs aren't still unmet, but they're using the competitors and you're showing up on the scene, it's probably a two-pronged strategy for that, which would be trying to win them over and get them to churn or to switch to you versus going after a market that may not have heard about you. A couple other channels that are super important to think of from, I guess, a marketing and market perspective are review sites and affiliates, right? Specifically relevant in the financial industry 
where I am, but people aren't going to a no-name website and kind of trusting the headline copy on it. They're looking on review sites. So if you've got like a half star out of five, that might be an area to focus on so that you're building trust elsewhere. Because my guess is that market is likely going there to check you out before even arriving on your website. Kind of the way that you would go to Yelp to pick a restaurant. Or what do you think about the idea that if you look at G2 or Coptera, everybody has great reviews. Like it's actually becoming increasingly unhelpful in terms of helping you choose. That's actually a very interesting, I would love you to do a podcast with them to hear how they would respond to that. But I will say that that was not always the case. And that isn't the case for all companies. We have started focusing on our on review sites more recently, because we were just kind of focused on our customers separately from that. And then it just wasn't an area of focus. And because of that, it's either a wild card, or I don't know, not a lot of people just take the initiative to go to a review site, unless they're really mad or have had the most incredible experience in the world. There's no one kind of in between. If you have a complaint, like you need your voice to be heard. I don't actually feel like it is unhelpful. I do go to those sites to check out software as well as as a product marketer, read what people write on our review sites, because you can see themes pop up of, wow, they're really upset about this, or they're interested in this. And oftentimes, it's similar to reading the NPS responses. And sometimes there are new themes in there. You guys use a lot of customer stories in your content marketing and social. Why is that? I think it comes back to what we just talked about with the competition. But if you're not building for your customers, what are you building for? We are kind of obsessed or ruthlessly focused on our customers and their happiness and solving different needs for them, mainly because they use us to power their businesses. And the reasons they started, if we go back to the Brex mission of we're here to help companies realize their full potential, we're interested in what their full potential is and what vision they have for themselves. One of our customers at Supermark lived in a part of LA where it was a food desert. There were no places to get healthy food other than, and you could just kind of get fast food. And so she figured out a way to launch within her local community and help get her neighbors and community healthy things to eat, which obviously have huge implications on how well that community does. And that's who we're building for. And that's the story we want to tell because we're looking for more and more people who are trying to change their communities or their lives or the lives of others. We can help power that. Gotcha. Can you tell me which channels are working the best for you to tell your story? You got your own blog. What else are you using and what seems to be working the best? We use the channels differently for sure. If it's awareness, I would say billboards are a pretty awesome way to do it. We have not yet done a Super Bowl spot, although I know some of our competitors have, but there are awareness channels that perform well. And I think specifically drilling into billboards, it really put us on the map because we weren't no one really in comparison to other credit card companies. Our founders had just graduated from Y Combinator Accelerator in the Bay Area and just announced ourselves in San Francisco. Our CFO also said something clever. He was like, go big or don't go out of home. Like one billboard somewhere isn't really going to move the needle for you. But if you have a concerted, integrated strategy and are really committed to making that channel work for you, that's one thing. So that's the awareness side of it. Throughout the funnel, I think it's just using content and repurposing it so that it's relevant for the level of intent and the amount of information those people want to absorb at different places where they'd find things. Like a display ad can probably be pretty lightweight and maybe don't ask them to sign up right away. Send them to an article that they can read and enjoy or better yet, a video because people seem to really be engaging with video a lot more these days. How does your brand strategy and messaging positioning go together and what comes first? 
Okay. I love this one because it's a system and they are completely interconnected. So when I joined, I was talking about doing the messaging and positioning work at Brex two years ago. It was in tandem with the brand strategy work that our brand team led. So we were just in every meeting together. I'd say brand strategy is the why we exist and who we exist for. Messaging and positioning is what we build and who we build for. There's an analogy that's kind of awkward and random, but I'll bring it up anyway, which is a couple of years ago, scientists discovered a new organ in the human body, which was the interstitium, which is just the space between all your other organs. It's not nothingness. It's not negative space. It's own organ, I guess. And I think of brand a lot like that, where it's everything. It's the interstitial space and everything in the halo around it. You can think of it like a foundation. You can think of it like an umbrella. So there's that. And then the messaging is at the center of who you are as a company. It's the overarching narrative. It spans your product portfolio. You can have versions of it for your different personas, your different products, your different verticals, your different geos, whatever. It's kind of like a personalized matrix. But at the end of the day, you want to speak to your customers the way they want to be spoken to or to your market the way they want to be spoken to. Think back to the word, the phrase burn rate and how few of the people in the new markets we've gone into were using that word. So yeah, you cannot have one without the other. They'll fall apart. My final question is about the future. So if we look at more mature spaces, let's say CRMs or marketing automation, where you take the top 20 players in that category and they're basically identical. They do the same thing. They say the exact same things about themselves. Everybody has great reviews, great customer stories. So really there's like very little difference between all of those guys. Now, if you look at your space and I think Brex here five years from now, 10 years from now, are you thinking about this, that there's going to be increased commoditization? Are you planning ahead? Are you building any moats? Yeah, we are definitely thinking very far ahead. And if you look backward at where we were just three years ago with just credit card, that space, we were the first there and it got extremely saturated with very respectable competition. And we have shifted to focus or not shifted, I should say, but we have expanded our focus to think through the brand as well as out ideating the competitors. And that led us to launch a cash management account, which the others didn't have spend management software. We've got this all-in-one solution. So you really don't need to use this kind of collage or spreadsheet of all these different tools to run your business because we knew how important consolidation and ease was to our customers. But your question was slightly different, which is, you know, every, you're the same basically as the competition. What do you do? And I think that's where you really have to turn and look at your customers. And I bet that there are upper improvements you could make if you look at your MPS scores and NPS results. Could you delight them more? at every touch point. One company that I really admire is customer-centric is Intuit. I think how obsessed they are with their customers is so clear in all of their products, how easy it is to get in touch with support, how easy it is to get questions answered, usually in the same session versus having to wait. I'm sure that if your website's saying great things about you and people like your brand and all that, it's like, I commend you, it's hard to do, but there are probably a lot of improvements you could make to continue to delight and surprise your customers. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me.